Thank you. I'm Danielle, and I am an alcoholic. And I'm very grateful to be here. Um, I was just thinking as I was sitting there, you know, the last of my drinking was spent in West Oakland, where I lived. And uh, I would sit on the back of a stairwell where nobody knew me, you know, with a, a tall can, and I'd sit there and feel so sorry for myself, you know. Who would ever thought? I mean, if you're brand new to the program and you think it's going to give you a little bit of life, let me tell you, you can't imagine where you may go in recovery. You just can't imagine it. I certainly wouldn't have thought I was going to get to do all the things I get to do. Uh, today is the day before Thanksgiving, and uh, they told me a long time ago, if your gratitude is enough, you'll stay sober. And when I rolled up here, I didn't have very much gratitude. I was a lot of hateful. I was a good hater, but I wasn't very grateful, you know. And, and so they told me to be grateful, and I'd go home. I finally had a home, and I'd count my little forks and stuff, you know, because I, I didn't know how to be grateful. And I learned that here. I learned to count my blessings all the time. I used to hear that all the time when I was a kid, count your blessings, and I'd think, what blessings? You know, I am from Oakland. And some of my story includes drugs to get to alcohol, but I am an alcoholic who wants to stop, stay stop drinking. So there's a history in there of drugs, and I can't hardly ignore that if I'm going to speak about my story because that's part of it. But uh, uh, the, the thing that brought me to my knees and brought me to recovery was alcohol. It's a wonderful drug. It kicks your ass and takes your name, you know. The other drugs didn't do that. They may have done that for me, but I was too stupid to know it. Uh, I started using when I was real young. and I, I drank one time when I was 14 years old. And, you know, you would have thought that I had a clue because I blackout drank and went to juvenile hall. They told me I had hung on to the side of a police car. I don't think that's too cool. And so they put me in juvenile hall, and uh, I remember thinking, this is okay. You know, it, jail didn't really bother me, and I, I knew I was going to be in for trouble then because if jail didn't bother me, well, it was going to bother me. And uh, so I thought to myself, well, I'm not going to drink. That's an awfully dangerous drug. I'll use other drugs. They're safer. And, see, that was my best thinking, and I always talk about my best thinking because I had some wonderful ideas that all turned backwards on me. Uh you know, I don't feel like I'm here for being stupid, but I'm going to tell you the best ideas I ever had got me deeper in the ground. So I uh, I, I lived in, in West Oakland, Acorn, which is a project. I liked the project. I liked it was loud. It was rowdy. And I liked all that. You know, I wasn't one that felt bad about that. I felt good about that. And in uh, my day, I'm 65 years old, and in my day, I was the only little white kid in the hood, and that was okay, too. You know, I got my butt kicked a couple of times because you had to have that, but then I didn't anymore, you know, as part of the, the furniture. And so I, I did what everybody else did, you know, loud and rowdy and smoked a lot of weed and 
In those days, it was a little different. The weed we had, you got the munchies and you giggled all the time. You know, it was way, way different. I do evaluations for court on kids, and, and I often interview a kid, and I say, well, what are you doing? You know, you all walk down in his chair, and he'll tell me, I'm only smoking weed, and I go, what? But the weed they smoke is so strong, where they smoke is where they stay weed. And that's, they get stupid real quick. And so, I, you know, and I would always look at the guys in the corner, the, the drug addicts, and I would say, I'll never be like that. Never. I never wanted to be like that. See, because I thought I was going to be something better than that. And that was one thing, if I, I would say, if I ever got like that, I'll quit. You know, because that's the lowest thing I wanted to be. Oh, but the winos were even lower than that. In my world, they're the low man on the totem pole. And and so, you know, I I smoke a joint and become an airline pilot, all that crap you do. And, 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 you know, I started, I didn't go to school because I was too smart for school. I got kicked out of the ninth grade once again for being rowdy. And it didn't bother me because I didn't figure I needed school. You know, uh, I didn't figure that I needed too much of anything except whatever I could come up with. You know, that's the kind of arrogance I carried with myself. So I remember getting a little older and thinking to myself, you know what, I better square up a little bit here. I know what I'll do, I'll get married. I'll marry some square dude and move to a cul-de-sac and join PTA and have babies and live happily ever after. Well, I got married to that little square guy. I stayed married a whole hot 28 days. That's all the square I could handle in one shot. So I left, and uh, I found out that I was pregnant, and I was a baby having a baby is what I was. And in those days, we didn't have the information that you young ladies have today about if you drink or use, the baby could be affected. But somehow... God had a better plan for me than I did because I didn't plan on not drinking or using, but he made the plan for me, and I didn't. And I had a lovely little girl named Tiffany. And uh, I did what a lot of women in my position do. I let my parents take care of Tiffany. And I always see that with regret because that has never been an okay mended fence. And it's many, many years, but it's not been a mended fence. Uh, but that's my story, and I can't change it. That's the way it was. And so I went back to doing what I was doing. And in those days, uh, there was a lot of pills in the world, and I was taking a lot of those, and I was doing a lot of Benzedrine and Secanol and not drinking much because, again, I was getting older, and I drank again, and that time I got in a car wreck. And when I did, I broke both my legs and all the bones in my face. My cheekbone, they had to put a cheekbone. And, and uh, you know, I hear other people talking at the meeting. They were in a car wreck, and they learned from it. Not me. You know, I was really stupid. I, I couldn't wait till I got better so I could get back out there. You know, that's where I was. And so I got back out there, and I thought, well... I know i got to square up. See, I always had that in my mind. I wanted to be right. But I wasn't really willing to put a lot of effort in it. I wasn't really willing to do much towards that. I just wanted it, you know, because I, I wanted what I wanted when I wanted it, and I wanted it now. It didn't happen like that. 
So I got married again, and uh, I, be I took a, a job. I took a civil service test in the city of Oakland, and I passed. I was one of the top ten people, over, over a thousand, and I became a meter maid in the city of Oakland. I didn't have an adult record at the time. And I had another daughter, Renee Karras Carson. And, you know, I would wake up in the night and I would look at her and I'd think, oh, my gosh, she's so beautiful. I'm going to be the best mom. I'm not going to do anything to run in interfere with that. I'm not going to do that. But you know what? I also had a habit going. I had a job, a nice husband, uh, a beautiful daughter, but I had a habit. And... Uh, you know, I was running around. I thought, I think I thought I was bulletproof, that I wasn't going to get arrested or something. But you know what? We're doing what I was doing, you're going to get arrested. I don't know if anybody thinks they're an exception to the rule, but I, I sure wasn't. And I remember being a meter maid that got busted with a quarter million dollars worth of cocaine. Needless to say, the Oakland Police Department didn't want me to be their meter maid anymore. And... uh I started going to jail at Santa Rita, which is a jail in, in Alameda County. And so at that time, I found alcohol. I had a five-to-life joint suspended, and I thought to myself, my good thinking, my best thinking again, I know the solution for drug addiction. I'll drink. It's legal. And I wondered why everybody wasn't happy that I had made that decision. I sat my family down, and I thought they'd go, woo, 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 you know, and they kind of looked at me like, what? And, you know, I thought, well, the heck with them. I thought I was doing something wonderful. You know, I, I couldn't be totally without alcohol or drugs, so I'm going to choose alcohol. But being given the fact that I had the disease of addiction already, it wasn't but six months down the road when I became full-blown alcoholic. I was drinking Thunderbird at 5 o'clock in the morning. You know, the, the wine that makes your lip purple and your ass flat. That kind. Well, no grapes. And, uh, you know, I was really, and when I drink, I'm like it says in the book, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. I think I'm six feet tall and like to fight. And I don't care how about getting beat up. It doesn't bother me a bit. You know, when I'm drunk, I just, I just get like that. And my husband was undone. Uh, nine out of ten times, men will leave drunk women. Now, we don't leave drunk men. I can't figure out why that. I don't think they're any cuter than we are falling off a bar stool, but that's the way it is. They don't like us. And my husband would say things like, I don't want to go to bed with Thunderbird one more night. And I drank fast because, see, booze seemed a little slow to me having used the other substances that were quick. And so I drank fast and drank hard. And... uh I thought, well, I know, I'll fix him, because I had gotten drunk at him, and that didn't work. And I thought, I'll move. I'll take my baby, and she and I will leave the Oakland, and we'll leave all these things I blamed, because I'm a great blamer. 
It was Oakland's fault, my parents' fault, my husband's fault. Oh, it was everybody's fault. And so I went to uh, the state of Washington. I went right up where the volcano was. I was in three natural disasters. I used to think God was out to get me, and he was, and he did, and I thank him. But at that time, I wasn't that smart. And so I went up there, and... I found out that I was uh, all these miles away from everything and everyone I had blamed, and I was still drunk. And to me, I guess that was the first time I ever really figured out, hey, this might be my fault, you know, or my responsibility, not fault. And uh, in Washington, I don't know if you know, but there's a lot of loggers, and they drink. And I drank. You know, I drank real hard, and... My daughter was getting terribly upset with my drinking, and sometimes uh, I began to uh, have the physical effects of alcohol. Women can't usually drink as long as men. That's another thing that used to bother me to death. You know, we would fall apart earlier. Nine to ten years of uh, alcoholic drinking, we females don't, don't do well after that. So I began to have seizures from the drug of alcohol. And when I would, my daughter would be over me and she would have tears in her eyes and say, what can I do to help, Mama? And, you know, I would mean by everything that's holy that I wouldn't drink anymore. I'd say, baby, I I won't drink tomorrow. I won't. And I'd mean that. I mean, with everything I had, I'd mean that. But then a day or two would go down the road and now I won't drink Coors. I'll drink Budweiser. I won't do this. I'll do that. The end result, I was always drunk. What had happened to me is, too, I didn't know about this, about alcoholism at the time, uh, my tolerance had broke. I mean, I had a big tolerance for a long time. And then I drank less and got drunker. That's called a successful drunk, I think. You know, the ones that hold a brown paper bag all day in the park. And that's the way I was getting. I was drinking less and being more drunk, and I couldn't figure out what that was. I thought, well, maybe I ought to eat more or something, you know. And uh, But that didn't work. I was just drunk all the time. And so I thought to myself, another great idea of mine, I'll go back to Oakland. Because if something happens to me, her dad will be there to help me take care of, take care of her. Not I'll quit drinking. Not any of that stuff. But I'll move to Oakland so somebody will be there for the fall. So I got back to Oakland and... Uh, One more time, you know, I could always find a good apartment and get a little job. I'm a real hard worker, and I'm very, very clean, and I can do that kind of stuff. And so we got an apartment, and Renee and I, uh, you know, she was real disappointed in Mother. And and I was so self-centered, I couldn't see all the damage that had been done to her. I didn't see that. I don't know that I would have done anything about it at that time, but I was not able to see that. And uh, I didn't have many boyfriends at the time uh, because I thought it was bad enough I'm an alcoholic woman without having a bunch of men in my life. But I had one, and I he's my sometime part-time boyfriend still, you know, most of the time part-time. But uh, he, he was Tony, and, and, and Tony was just like me. He was drinking out of the brown paper bag, talking about the big bag, and that's when you know your stuff is over. And, uh, you know, he, 
he was he was pitiful, and I he'd tell me I'm going to the store for a loaf of bread, and I wouldn't see him for three years. So that was okay with me, you know. He'd go back to jail, and and that was that was just fine with me. I had no problem with that. So at any rate, um, you know, it got real bad. The alcoholism, you know, it's just sick in the house, you know, and. My daughter was such a nice girl, and I didn't want it to be that sick, but I couldn't stop it from being that sick. And, uh, you know, I always uh, walked around. I had an apron. I cleaned apartments, and I carried a 25 in that apron. And uh, Tony and I got into it, and, and, and uh, he tried to break down the door, and he was bigger than me, so I shot him. And uh, was that 25, and... Uh, in Oakland, it was not a big deal. You know, it was like, ah. And, uh, but they did kick me out of my apartment. And my daughter said, Mom, I just can't do you anymore. You're just too much. I'm going to go stay with Grandma. And I'm, I was just devastated. I thought, how could she want to leave Mommy? Mommy loved her. How could she want to do that? You know, and everything was in turmoil. But that's, that's the way it was. So she went to my mother's. And in the meanwhile... Uh, after I shot Tony, he went away, and uh, so I went, I didn't know what to do with me. I'm not the kind of person that people invite in their house to stay, you know, when uh, drunk as I was and pitiful, and the apron was at 25, and so I went down to what's called Old Man's Park, and that became my home for the next while, and that's where all the has-beens lived, and... Uh, you know, I was down there, and, and I would wonder, what am I doing here? How did I get here? Once I was 14 or 15 years old, and I was, I was, you know, fun and everything, and now I'm just some woman sitting in the park playing dominoes with these fools, you know. And in those days, too, they gave winos Ritalin for what I do not know. We had a bunch of wide-awake drunks. <laughs> I guess that's so you wouldn't fall asleep and get hurt too bad. I don't know. And so I remember thinking, I just can't die down here. I can't do that. I can't leave that kind of a legacy. But, you know, it's a lot harder to pull yourself up than, than to fall down. And so I remember calling this girl, and I had to kiss her butt, and I just hated that. You know, I said, I need to come to your house and clean up. I need to get clean. She gave me a lecture. You know, she was one of those responsible people, one of those people I couldn't stand, except when you needed something, you know. And so her son had been at summer camp, and she invited me to go. She said, uh, okay, I'll take you in. So I... Uh, I had a 25-cent bus pass to go on the bus in Oakland, and or 15-cent. And, and, and in those days, you could smoke weed on the back of the bus. And so at first, I did that, you know, and I went to a fellowship at a lot of called, club called the In-Between. It was in between two bars. And occasionally, I'd go next door and get drunk, you know, after the meeting. And then I thought... I don't think this stuff is working right for me. I better give up one or the other. So I thought, I won't smoke weed and I won't drink. And I went to the meetings. I went to the meetings. Real rowdy club. I mean, if you went in there, there would be times when there would be, we'd all be talking, you know, and, and, and somebody would come in, sit down, and police would come in, snatch them out, and bust them. And, 
you know, I like that kind of a lot of club, me. And uh, so I finally had 30 days. And all I had was these red corduroy pants that I put bricks on so they'd stay all Bonnaroo with the, you know, creatures. Because I, I, I wanted to be a tidy wino, I guess. I don't know. And uh, so I, I called my daughter and I said, Nene, Mama's sober. And she said, I know I can tell in your voice, Mom. And so I said, will you guys come and get me? So my mother and Renee came to get me in Oakland. And they said I was still a bit of a sick cookie. I tried to put the shopping cart in the car. <laughs> and we came back here, and um, my parents lived here. And uh, I finally got a Section 8 place. And, you know, that, that was like heaven to me. I, everybody tells me my little apartment was in, in the ghetto over here on Floral Street. Hey, I thought it was heavenly. From the park to uh, uh, Floral Street, no comparison. I, you know, I even waxed the little deck. I was so tickled, you know, to have that. And that's when I began to see the damage I had done her, my daughter. You know, she was now getting A's in class and the soloist in the choir. And she hadn't been doing that. She was the parent. I was the child. Now I was the parent. And she was the child, and she got to be that. First year I was sober, first Christmas, I spent all my little welfare check on her to get an outfit so she could have it. She was the prettiest girl I saw. You know, I was so happy for her. And we were really happy. Things were going well, and I, I'd volunteer at Pine. I thought I had a real job. I'd answer the phone, hello, Pine Recovery, may I help you? I just thought that was hot stuff. And... uh so when Renee was going to be 15 years old, she wanted to go see her dad. She just had made 15. She got her little um, permit, her little pink permit. I still have her pink permit. And she went to see her dad in Oakland, and every day I went to a meeting. She'd call me. She'd say, Mama, are you okay? I'd say, yeah. And I was 11 months and two weeks sober at that time. And she called me one day and said something I never forget. She says, Mama, if something happens to me, do you promise you don't drink? And I said, Sure, baby. I hung up that night and I went about my business and I went to a meeting because I had built a lot of insurance in meetings like you told me here. And I went to a meeting and then the phone rang and it was my ex-husband saying Renee had been hit by a car and killed. And I hung up. My denial was there. I thought, if I don't hear this, it's not real. And then the phone rang again. It was them telling me Renee was dead. And I remember that the third step, and all I could do, my way of handling the third step was saying, you got it, God. I can't hang. I can't hang. But he did. He did have it. You know, it was the people in these rooms uh, that carried me through the next year. I did not drink. I mean, I wasn't normal. I wasn't at all normal. I walked around. I wouldn't eat. I wouldn't do anything. And uh, But the people took me to meetings, and all I could say, don't drink, don't drink, don't drink, don't drink, don't drink, don't drink. You know, and they tell you that here, and I didn't drink. And so I was really... Uh, a mess, and you know, finally, uh, a guy at at the meetings, uh, Claude, he says, "You want a job, kid?" And I said, "Yeah, I want a job." So I thought, well, you know, I'll learn how to work. I didn't know how to work. So being a meter maid or something, or being a drug addict, that don't count. And uh, 
So uh, at that time, too, I had uh, had called Tony up. He was in San Quentin. That was his last penitentiary. And I had told him that Renee died. And I uh, said, so, you know, I, I was lonely. And, I, and he said, well, I'll come and help you, Danielle. And, I, you know, I knew better than to believe him. I knew what he was, you know. And I said, well, I don't drink and I don't use, so you can't come here for using. So that, oh, I want me, da 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 And he wrote me all those letters, all the ones that jail people write. They all start with Indeed, and they're all full of junk. And... Um, but I guess I wanted to believe that, you know, and, and so he came, and the minute he came, I, he went in my bathroom, and I can smell sulfur cooking, you know, and that's hair on it. Uh, this time I didn't have a 25, I had a 38, and I shot him again. <laughs> and I'll tell you, the people in my cell, you have no sense of humor about that. You know, drop your gun, Mrs. Carson, and nobody in AA would talk to me for about a month. You know, they always told me, welcome here, but they really weren't prepared for what they were getting. And uh, so, you know, I said to myself, well, I'm not doing something right. I better, you know, put, you can't straddle here. You either put one foot, you can't put one foot in the fast lane and one foot in the slow lane. You either got to do one or the other. So I said, okay, it's AA all the way. And that's what I did. And the next day, the article was in the paper about me shooting Tony. And I had a job that next day. And I went out to my boss. I was scared to death. And I said, well, this happened. And I said, can I still work here? And he said, well, did you kill him? And I said, no. And he said, yeah, you got a job. <laughs> so that's how I learned to work. I started there. And, uh, you know, then uh, I didn't see Tony for 18 months. He, and he got sober. I don't know that that was a treatment modality that should be uh, practiced, but it worked for him. He didn't ever use again. <laughs> and I, I saw him after 18 months, and I went to Fresno to see him because I knew I'd know, you know, and he had a license and a Social Security card, so I knew he was all right, you know, because he never had those things. And so we got kind of back together, and I said, you know what, I, I have a dream. I want to have something in memory of Renee. Renee's full name was Renee Terrace Carson. Her middle name was Cherish. Her godfather gave her, her that middle name. And it means grace of God. And she was so special. And so I said, I'm going to name whatever it is Cherish. So I found a home one day on Willis Street, an old home, one of the big old historical homes for sale. And I walked up to the people and I said, how do you do? My name is Danielle Carson and I'm a dope fiend and an alcoholic. And I want to open a home for boys. I don't have a lot of money, but I pay on time and I'm clean. And they looked at me, and they said, you know what, we're going to help you. And you know what, I, I bought that house. In 25 years, I never missed a payment. They think dopings and alkies are nice people. And part of the reason I did that, though, is for me, for my own dignity, to pay my bills, but for you in case you want to go out there. I'm not so selfish anymore. If you want to go get something, you have somebody that did something right, too. You know, and they can reflect on that. So I started one house. No money, no nothing. They told me, well, you can't be this because you're a felon and you're a single woman and whoop, whoop, whoop. And I like it when somebody tells me you can't because that just makes me want to do it harder. And so I said, oh, I bet I can. And so I became a foster mother. 
And then I became specialized foster, and I moved a bunch of boys in. And we didn't have much money, but, oh, we had fun. I didn't take a day off the first five years I was there, not one day off. I cooked, I cleaned, I was mean. But I had to be, I had, you know, I had a bunch of characters and no staff. And uh, they used to go to jail for not doing homework in the day. And uh, it, it was tough then. But we all had a lot of fun, too. And so, you know, then we got bigger and Tony helped me and we got bigger and bigger. Actually, I got too big. And what happened is I stopped going to meetings I stopped working the steps. I stopped talking to my sponsor, and in 1995, I got drunk. After all those years of not drinking and all that work, and then I got drunk. You know, it wasn't real hard for me to get drunk because I built the case for me to be a victim, but it was real hard for me to tell because people gossip. You know, what here, here, stays here, here, here. No, <laughs> not really, you know, but, you know... That's okay. I had to tell. If I didn't tell on me, I was going to die. You know, I knew that. And so I spent one week telling the people I had to tell. I told the boys in the house. I told the judge I worked with. I told my parents. I, I you know, licensed. I told all those people. And uh, AA, and, and, and then, then I started changing again. Uh, and I, you know, I... I had to slow down some. I got it too much, too much, uh, overwhelming. You know, um, being successful is not recovery. Doing the steps is recovery. You know, uh, being involved with that is recovery. And I got real successful, but I was overwhelmed. And, uh, I, you know, I had to kind of slow down. And then last year I got real sick. I had no idea what was wrong with me. I was just, you know, mean and grumpy and didn't know what was wrong. And I'd go to the doctor and nobody knew. And I have really good insurance. But what I didn't know and nobody ever checked me for is my heart had failed. And I had no idea. You know, they kept telling me I have COPD. You know, I quit smoking 10 years ago. And, uh, you know, I thought, okay. And nobody ever checked me for my heart because they think women have less stress. I don't know what doctor decided that, but that's goofy. Anyway, I finally drove myself to emergency, and I said, you're going to fix me, people. And by that time, my kidneys, my liver, and my heart had all gone. And so I almost bit it. Um, I was in the hospital five weeks. I thought I was in a strange country with dark-skinned people that played soccer. I had, that was good dope, I guess. I don't know. You know, and, and Tony came to see me, in there, and he looked orange with white hair, you know. And, and, I, and I thought, I don't know where I'm at. And I kept, you know, I have in and out times of, of being lucid and, and people would call old friends and I'd say, how did they get here? You know, how did they get here? Because I think they don't live in this town. You know, I didn't know what town I was in. I thought I was in Jack London Square. I thought I was, I didn't know. At one point, I thought I was in a place where you had a row of boats come and see me. <laughs> you know, and... Uh, I was really sick, and then I got really obnoxious. I'm not a good patient. The doctor threatened to throw me out of the hospital three times. And uh, so that that was hard, but I finally went home, and I made up my mind at that time. I was going to – I had boys that had been in the home 
praying for me at that time, you know, and I'm thinking, because I thought, I don't want to live. I can't live like this. I've done enough. The heck with it. I don't want to live anymore. But see, again, that's not my time to negotiate with God. I mean, God does what he wants to. He doesn't want to do what I tell him to do. My pastor said, there's a God and, and you're not him. And uh, so there, I thought, well, I better work with some of these older guys because now I became on, on permanent disability, you know. I didn't like that. One time I would have gave my left arm for that, but I didn't want that now. But, you know, I thought, well, I can, I can work with the older boys, though, the ones that were in my home and the ones that are getting out of prison. and Because and, uh, I can't work at the houses too much with the minors because I, I can't. It's too much stress for me. But you know what? This time, this sickness... It's been the best thing that ever happened. Again, I said, you got it, God, because I can't do this. And lo and behold, my life now is just about the most wonderful it's been in all the time I've been in recovery. Really, it is. My granddaughter works for me. My daughter, Tiffany, still never has anything much to say good about me. Uh, my grandson is a stone alcoholic at age 21. Tried to bring a tall can over to my house the other day. Why can't do that? <laughs> you know, but uh, it is what it is. You know, and I'm very blessed to have the boys, you know, the young ones at the at Karis House and the older ones at Karis Enterprises here tonight with me, you know, and it's just great. And because, see, I didn't go to school. But because of this program, I learned how to read and write, and I can do some things. Uh, I learned to write a curriculum, and I wrote a curriculum not about AA, but about the criminal personality. And I get, I have been, uh, uh, to, I have been chosen to train to parole officers all over Tulare County, and that just pleases me to no end, you know. I learned everything worth a darn in Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't get rehabilitated here. I got habilitated. I didn't have anything to return to. You're talking about a person here that had never been in mainstream. So everything I learned here was an introduction to mainstream, and I really liked it. You know, I've learned that I've got a little taste, and I've got a little class, and a little dignity, and I said, all right. You know, I still like soul food and I still like all that stuff a lot, but, you know, this is, this is the best in life I ever have had. I'm glad I'm old. I'm a woman that doesn't mind being old because when I was young I was so goofy and stupid, you know, and wild that age has kind of made me settle down. And I got to live this long for crying out loud. Most of us don't. But there's not a day goes by that I don't think of Renee Karras Carson. Never a day goes by. And I'm always hoping that she'll be proud of me. I wish I could have done more earlier, but it is what it is. You know, it can't get any better than that. But at least she had 11 months and two weeks of a good life before she died. She was happy when she died. i got to remember that. Take me out of it. Her. She was happy. So I'm just very grateful to be here. I, I, I'm so happy to see the boys here, the ones in the back table. They're looking so nice. And, you know, you can't hardly tell they've been to jail. <laughs> and the ones in the front, they can't hardly tell they've been to jail. You know, uh, that's not.
right. You know, we can we can walk amongst regular people. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed being here.